What up, people? Welcome back to the Mind Body Hoops podcast. This might be one of the most important ones I've dropped yet. Today, I sit down with uh, Patrick McCune. He's the best-selling author of The Oxygen Advantage. And when I first read this book, um, I loved it. And I was fucking blown away. And I started telling everybody I knew about it. And I reached out to Patrick, and he said we could have a talk. And I was so stoked. Basically, when I went into this book, I thought, like, I knew kind of the general vibe of what it would be like. I thought, you know, it's called The Oxygen Advantage. That means, you know, Deep breaths are good. The more you breathe, the better. We all need oxygen. I get it. But the book blew me away. And the relationship that oxygen and CO2 and all these other variables have on our performance and overall life and well-being blew me away. In the sports world, like we talk about nutrition and the importance of that. We talk about like getting the right sleep. We talk about all these other things, getting hydrated, like food, water. We know that's important, but oxygen is literally the most important thing the body needs to survive. And yet we don't really talk about what optimal breathing kind of looks like um, and how detrimental not breathing properly can be on not only our performance, but just our whole life. And when I read this book, again, I was just like mesmerized by a, how important it is, and two, like how fucking off I was on breathing. And when I realized that so many issues I thought I had from like fatigue and waking up with a dry mouth and having trouble concentrating at times and then muscle cramps, all these things can be relayed back to um, inefficient breathing. And me and Patrick talk about that on this podcast. We go into depth. We basically break his book down, The Oxygen Advantage, and try to deliver the whole book into a one-hour podcast. So we do go a little over an hour. If you got to take a break, take a break. But I hope you guys listen to the whole thing because this one, again, is just one of the most important ones I've ever done. This topic that Patrick is kind of leading the pack on, I think will be talked about a ton within the next five to 10 years um, in the holistic health space, in the basketball space, in all athletic fields. It's just it's too important to ignore. So uh, I hope you guys love it as much as I did. I'll shut my mouth. Enjoy this conversation I had with best-selling author Patrick McCune. Patrick, thank you so much. First off, for writing this book. Uh, when I read it, I literally was walking around and talking about it to anybody I would come across for for days and days and weeks and. So first off, thank you for writing this book, The Oxygen Advantage, that has impacted my life a lot since I've read it. And then thank you for taking the time to talk to me on my podcast. Yeah, of course, Max. And thanks very much for asking me to come along. I, uh, I think we resonate in that the reason I was so drawn to this book right out the gate, like I couldn't put it down. Uh, I was a mouth breather for a majority of my life. And so I felt like a lot of this book talking about, you know, why oxygen and, and proper breathing is so important. I felt like it was written directly towards me. So when you would talk about kind of the issues someone would face, if they don't respect this, I was like, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's everything I face. And then kind of talking about the solutions, I was like, why has this never been taught to me? So mm-hmm. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I do believe like you and I have the similar background in terms of, you know, why we, we are so drawn to this message. But so our listeners can get on the same page as us. First mm-hmm. off, I recommend everybody read The Oxygen Advantage. There's just so much in-depth information that has really helped my life. But in your words, I don't want to butcher it. How would you, you've probably done this thousands of times. How would you give like a brief synopsis uh, or thesis of kind of The Oxygen Advantage, the book? Sure. There's two pillars to it. Um, one is looking at restoring normal breathing patterns. Now, many people will say that they breathe fine and everything is hunky-dory. But we do develop poor breathing patterns as a result of stress, as a result of lack of exercise, and the belief that it's good to take big breaths. Many times, if you went to a yoga studio, you're hearing the instruction, breathe big, and everybody is there taking bigger breaths. So we develop poor breathing patterns. And one of those is, of course, mouth breathing. And mouth breathing then in turn activates the upper chest. Our breathing is faster. Our breathing is harder. So from a biochemistry point of view, from a biomechanical point of view, from a psychological point of view, mouth breathing is probably the worst thing that you can do in terms of breathing patterns. Now, your your listeners might say, well, I never have my mouth open. But how many of them wake up with a dry mouth in the morning? And if you're waking up with a dry mouth in the morning, there's six to eight hours that you've been breathing hard through an open mouth. 
and that's going to affect you in some way. At the very least, you're unlikely to wake up feeling refreshed. And then the second part of it is exercises to help open up the airways. You know, we can show somebody how to decongest their nose in about five minutes. And these exercises, I've been reproducing them and teaching them since 2002. So the book is as a result of my work. But first and foremost, I was working with normal individuals um, over the course of about 17, 18 years. And we've had from children from four years of age upwards, right up to, you know, older people in their late 80s, for example. And so we tailor the exercises to suit the person. So we're wanting to address and to improve breathing efficiency. But then we also have exercises designed to disturb the blood acid base balance. So we do breath holding after an exhalation to lower blood oxygen saturation, to increase CO2 in the blood, to create an acidic environment. And that forces the body to make adaptations conducive to sports performance. Yeah. And that was what stood out to me most. Cause when I picked up the book, I was assuming like take deeper breaths and, and, you know, focus on, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Oxygen advantage. Oxygen is important. I know that, but I never realized that a big part of the problem is, or the majority of the problem is over breathing. And, yes. and, and I want to, I'm going to take a stab at it. It's almost that when we breathe over breathe or breathe through our mouth too much, we are, it's not that we're not receiving enough oxygen. Is it that we're releasing too much oxygen out so that now the CO2 to oxygen balance in our blood is kind of off. Mm-hmm. And what you do a great job in the book is kind of explaining how, how detrimental it can be to have that balance, that very natural balance of CO2 and, and carbon dioxide to our muscles, to our blood, and how detrimental that can be to us. Is that, is that pretty spot on? Most people, yeah, it is. And most people will consider that oxygen is good and carbon dioxide is bad. And they see it in black and white. Exactly. But every, every breath that you take, your oxygen is passing from the lungs into the blood. And in the blood, 98% of oxygen is carried by a protein in the red blood cell called hemoglobin. But in order for hemoglobin to release oxygen, carbon dioxide must be present. Now, if we, if we are breathing too hard, we get rid of too much CO2 from the lungs. This in turn reduces CO2 in the blood. And as a result, the bond between hemoglobin and oxygen increases. In other words, the harder we breathe, the more carbon dioxide we blow off, and the less oxygen that gets delivered to the cells. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the complete opposite. And you know this belief that it's good to take big breaths, take a huge big breath, bring more oxygen into your body. We have to look at that. You know, even just looking at simple pulse oximetry and this little device here, it's got a little infrared light in it and it's got a red light and that's able to detect how fully loaded are your red blood cells with oxygen. And normally it's 95 to 99%. That's just with normal light, very quiet breathing. Now, if I started breathing harder, it's not going to increase the SpO2 because it's already almost fully loaded. So we need to put it out there that the more air you breathe, it doesn't mean that more oxygen is getting delivered. And I look at the blood oxygen saturation of people who are highly stressed, anxious, exhausted, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and their blood oxygen saturations in general are normal. That's not the problem. The problem is we need, we need to get oxygen from the blood to the cells, and we want to help restore normal autonomic functioning. Mm. And we do that by, through the breath. It sounds like there's all, there's all these like unspoken of um, delivery systems of oxygen and, and by not properly breathing, it's like we, maybe we do have the oxygen, but we don't have the necessary vehicles to take that to our muscles. And I think one of the things that really hit this home for me right away was I used to suffer from really severe uh, chronic cramping, muscle cramps, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and it really hindered my ability to play at my highest potential uh, in the high school level, especially I, would, I was a very elite player. And then every, every almost game by the fourth quarter, I would have severe muscle cramps. And and people thought, oh, you're not drinking enough water. You're not having enough potassium. And I was a freak with water. I was drinking gallons every day. I was, you know, loading my body with magnesium and iron and whatever I could, but nothing. Mm-hmm. And doctors had no idea. And so for me to read this book and for you to so perfectly lay out, hey, do you, are you a mouth breather often? Do you wake up with a dry mouth? And I'm like, yes. 
um, you know, are you waking up not feeling very rested? And I'm like, yes. Do you suffer from, you know, muscle fatigue? I'm saying yes. And it, it, it does and put into me like, why wasn't this taught to me? Why isn't this common knowledge? Why doesn't the number of doctors I know, you know, talk about this? Why didn't my parents know about this from a younger age? Like, it's, it's, it's just a fascinating thing to me. And so I would wonder if you could paint a picture. I, I kind of just touched on it now, but what are some of the ramifications of not respecting the way that we breathe and properly breathing? Like one of them is, you know, you're not getting enough oxygen to your muscles, which could cause fatigue. You said, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're not going to sleep well. Um, you're mm-hmm. not going to be fully rested. What are some of the other ones? Yeah. How you breathe during rest is going to determine how you breathe during physical exercise. Mm. So if you have somebody who's got poor or abnormal breathing during rest, and sometimes I think of, you know, we see it in elite players. I see it with elite athletes. I look at an interview with Conor McGregor. He's a UFC fighter. I look at how does he breathe during the press conferences? Not, not when he's irate, but when he's just sitting there, when he's calm or semi-calm. I see upper chest breathing. I see relatively fast breathing. I don't see natural pauses between breaths. You know, so... The amplitude of the breath is pretty large. So this guy is over-breathing. Now, what will that tell me altogether? Just within a few minutes of seeing an athlete breathe, we'll get some idea of how that athlete is going to breathe during physical exercise. And a person with abnormal breathing or with inefficient breathing during rest is going to have inefficient breathing during sports, and they're going to gas out too soon. So they will experience premature breathlessness. So what I want to do is, I want to make breathing so efficient that when the individual does physical exercise, that they can achieve a better performance for the same amount of effort. And this is regardless, like we've worked with elite elite athletes and elite athletes, normally the margin of a difference is a half a percent, but nobody is looking at these guys breathing. So if you have an elite athlete at the top of their game with poor breathing patterns, I'd say start changing their breathing patterns because this is something that you've probably, it's not been tapped into. And why, it, why is it not being tapped into? Well, you know, many people consider that their breathing is pretty good. So, for example, the International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy, they've written quite a few articles over the last few years looking at the relationship between dysfunctional breathing patterns <clears throat> and dysfunctional movement. So people are into functional movement because functional movement predicts the, the risk of injury. Functional movement gives you a good indication of posture, motor control, spinal stabilization. But in order to have functional movement, you need functional breathing. And if your breathing is not right, your functional movement, your movement is not right. So that's one aspect of it. So premature breathlessness, gassing out too soon, the expenditure of energy on breathing, because if you're breathing abnormally, You expend more of your oxygen consumption just to support your breathing muscles. Um, Respiratory muscle fatigue. You know, again, our breathing muscles, the diaphragm and the intercostals, up to 50% of athletes can experience diaphragmatic fatigue. And what happens when the breathing muscles tire is that blood is stolen from the legs to feed the diaphragm. So the legs go jelly. So if you see an athlete in, in full flight, and the next thing is their legs are going from under them, and that they're losing strength in their legs, You have to ask the question, why? Is it due to a buildup of acidity or is it due to diaphragmatic fatigue? So we want to look at, because breathing often sets the limits of both intensity and also endurance. Um, And that's why we need to train the breathing muscles. You know, athletes are training every other function, but not looking at breathing. Sleep is a huge one. I need athletes to be focused. If you have a good night's sleep, you've got good recovery. Conversely, if you're sleeping with your mouth open, you're, you're likely to have a light, a light sleep and you wake up feeling unrefreshed. And for years, for about 20 years, when I woke up in the morning, I was exhausted. And then your concentration is off, your focus is off, your attention is off, mind is off, and anxiety is more likely. Um, so sleep is important. So getting into the flow, that's going to be through the breath because If we're breathing hard and fast and mouth breathing and upper chest breathing, that's causing agitation of the mind. And if there's agitation of the mind, it's difficult to focus on what we want to focus upon. So an athlete in the flow, where time and movement and space and everything comes together, and the athlete is is working effortlessly, 
like it's almost in slow motion, that they're fully in the present moment, that all of their attention, 100% of attention is doing what they're doing. They're not distracted by internal monologue. They're not distracted by anxiety. They're not distracted by what's going on around them. That capacity of the mind is also influenced by your breathing. And if you breathe hard and fast, the mind, as I said, is more agitated. So I think, you know, there's a number, all of your organs and systems, your blood circulation, your airways, how many athletes experience exercise-induced bronchoconstriction? What, what are the airways for? What's the nose for? What's the purpose of it? And I don't want to put out the message that elite athletes need to devote 100% of the time to nasal breathing. That's not what it's about. I want functional breathing during the day, breathing through the nose, during sleep, during rest, practicing breath tolling to stress the body a little bit, to cause the body to make adaptations to the delay lactic acid and fatigue. And then during competition, breathe through your nose during warm-up through the early stages, but when the intensity gets very high, switch to mouth breathing. And then in recovery, switch back to nasal breathing. So during competition, there's a time to nose breathe, but there's also a time to mouth breathe. And we do pre-match preparation for competition. You know, how to get the mind focused and the body focused, because there's little tricks that you can be doing that give you an advantage. It's, um, it's, it's hard to know how to come back on that because I feel so passionate about it. And it, it is, it's so important for athletics specifically. And you think about how much effort and money and resources are spent making sure athletes are properly hydrated or properly, they have a nutrition, they have chefs on, <laughs> on staff, you know, paying. And if you think about it, I love the way you laid it out. Like you can go, um, you know, a day or two without water, you know, if you absolutely need to, you can go a lot longer without food, but without oxygen, you're screwed. And, and just, and you just explaining like the legs being jelly. I'm just having flashbacks of where I'm at and, and how I felt like I was in the best shape I could have possibly been in, in terms of like cardio. And I would be doing sprints and I would be working out my leg. I would be doing everything I could to be in the best shape possible, but still somehow Mm. on the, in these big moments, the fourth quarter, no matter how great my level of training, my legs would just from the waist down, just lose. They like, Mm. I would be cramping. It would start in the calves and then I would try to fight through it. And then my squads would give out and then my, my glutes would give out and, Mm-hmm. Had I known this, it would have just been a whole different ball game. And then I love that you touched on the meditative principle of it because before I got to the section of the book where it did talk about kind of the meditative aspects and how it can reduce anxiety and things like that, I really was thinking, um, you know, I've only heard about bringing the focus to the breath and like the spiritual books I read and the books that, cause I, I am a spiritual person and I have adopted a meditative practice and I'm like, almost intuitively had begun to realize, wow, this is the first time in my life I've really focused on breathing, just sitting here for 10 minutes and meditating. Mm-hmm. And while reading your breath or while reading your book, I was like, wow, this is the first time that I've found a practical and scientific way to carry meditation out into the rest of my day. So now I was closing my mouth and making sure I was breathing through my nose. And just by doing that, it does anchor you in the present. It does kind of ground you just by focusing on your breath. And then I love that, you know, about midway through the book, there's a lot of time devoted to talking about the mental and physical benefits of being more mindful, being more present, being in the flow as an athlete. It's so important. And, and just, and if I recommend people listening, if you do just try it out right now, like if you breathe through your mouth, I can feel my chest expanding, my traps expanding. And it's almost like a a hyperventilative state. And it's almost like you're tricking your brain into being anxious. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. and that's, and that's kind of where I was for so long. And if you shift that to your, your nose, you know, just right there, you can mm-hmm. immediately see the benefits. Oh yeah. It, this is not new stuff. You yeah. know, like mindfulness is absolutely super, but I don't think it's enough. Yeah. Mindfulness was developed two and a half thousand years ago. And <laughs> the simple focus of focusing on the breath on a panasati, feeling the airflow coming into the nose, feeling the airflow leaving in the nose. What about individuals who have breathing pattern disorders? And what about individuals who have poor sleep? You know, and also we see individuals going with anxiety, panic disorder, stress, depression. They're going to their psychotherapist. And their psychotherapist is doing cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, different counseling techniques. 
the psychotherapist isn't looking at how the person is breathing. Because oftentimes we, we, we kind of take it for granted that, yes, anxiety makes us breathe faster and harder and upper chest breathing. But faster and harder and upper chest breathing feeds back into anxiety. So the diaphragm muscle is very important. The instruction to take a deep breath is actually correct because there's information, there's input going from the diaphragm to the brain. When we breathe using the mouth, we do activate the fight or flight response. So in order to bring the body into relaxation, we should be breathing abdominally using the diaphragm, but it's not about taking big breaths. And in March of 2017, Stanford Medical School, they identified a new structure in the brain in the locus corollis. And they said that this structure is spying on your breathing. So when you breathe fast, this structure will relay signals of agitation to the rest of the brain. And when you slow down your breathing, this structure will relay signals of calm to the rest of the brain. So slow breathing is really that wonderful thing that helps to counteract. Maybe somebody has a genetic predisposition towards anxiety, slow down the breath. Maybe they are under stress in their life, slow down the breath. Because as long as we keep on thinking and thinking and thinking, and the mind is that wonderful thing that all of the perceptions of life, everything and how we perceive life is filtered through the mind. But yet we never stand back and ask, how am I thinking? What am I thinking about? And am I thinking about the same things over and over? And I'm not talking about how the mind is working from an academic point of view. But I'm talking about the habits of the mind. You know, it's become, Max, very, very lately, we really have an issue in the current state with overuse of information technology, distraction mm -hmm. by mobile phones, overuse of social media, um, that the mind has become very distracted, that it's almost that the brain is trained to be distracted. And people are resorting to hitting the like button, this, that, and the other. Whereas if the mind is distracted, we don't have focus. And if we don't have focus, we don't achieve the quality of work or sports or performance that we want to. So it all comes in together. Having a quiet mind, and I'm not having, talking about having the mind of a vegetable. I'm not talking about that kind of quietness. But I'm talking about the capacity to focus and to concentrate. That, in turn, is necessary. Sleep is important for that. Breathing is important for that. And also, selective about your time and not to be wasting it unnecessarily on social media and on everything. And yes, granted, we all need it. We all do need it. What I'm saying is select when you want to work with it as opposed to it being in control of you. Mm, I like that. And it's almost... I wonder how much of a vicious cycle this may be, you know, thinking that if people aren't breathing right and, and I'm one of them, you know, maybe waking up chronically fatigued and maybe, you know, just not having the proper oxygen, oxygenation of, yes. you know, everything going on and how that could probably just create this vicious cycle of, you know, I'm a little lethargic. I'm a little tired. Now I'm more maybe naturally drawn to things like bad foods for my body because it's easier and more carbohydrate type yes. diets. And then, and then even just like, I, I don't have the attention to handle this project. So I'm just going to go scroll on social media, which yeah. I fall, I fall victim to for sure. And then the more I almost do that, then it becomes a self perpetuating system where I'm training my brain, like you said, to have this short attention span. And now the yes. second I try to take it away from something, I'm like, it's yes. been 15 seconds. I need to go back to, you know, something stimulating immediately. So yes. it's incredibly, it's incredible yeah. what you just talked about, but I would love to talk about, you know, so the big, you know, the big underlying factor here is, is try to incorporate more and more nose breathing to where most of our day, maybe just outside of really extreme exercise is nose breathing. So, you know, most of our waking and sleeping time should, we should be breathing through our nose. Me, it's, it's just difficult and it's really difficult to do on a frequent basis. Um, and it almost, you know, you can feel that almost suffocating feeling if you're not used to it. Um, mm -hmm. So I wonder if we could pivot into that direction and hearing kind of maybe how you go about, you talk about it in the book, measuring kind of where you're at. And then from there, how we can start implementing and really kind of working on, you know, um, proper nose breathing. Sure. Suffocation. 
and that feeling that you're not getting enough air when you switch to nasal breathing, mm-hmm. that can be very much due to a habit of over-breathing. So say, for instance, if I give you an example, you have a kid with a stuffy nose. That child has a stuffy nose, they feel they're not getting enough air, and as a result, they breathe through an open mouth. And as they breathe through an open mouth, it causes disturbances to the breathing, which in turn reinforces the stuffy nose. That was me. What I want to do is, with all kids too, it's really, really vitally important. We want to show children and adults how to decongest the nose. And you can first decongest the nose by doing this exercise. Take a normal breath in through your nose, a normal breath out through your nose. You pinch your nose with your fingers and you start walking around while holding the breath. And just walk maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 20, maybe 25 paces, holding the breath. And hold your breath until you feel a medium to strong air hunger. Then let go of your nose, breathe in through your nose, and calm your breathing. Wait a minute, altered nose. Wait a minute and do that five or six times. Your nose will start opening up. Anytime you hold your breath, your nose opens. You don't need antihistamines. You don't need nasal steroids. And the remarkable thing about the nose is that the more you use it, the more it works for you. So the feeling of suffocation when one first switches from mouth to nose breathing, continue doing your best to breathe through the nose. Don't give in to switching to mouth breathing because all that happens then is that you're stuck in that pattern. The exercise also, that nose and blocking exercise, which is in the book, and the nose and blocking exercise will also help to bring down your breathing volume. And then we practice breathe light. Now, by the way, just a caveat on that last exercise, if the female is pregnant or if there's anybody with cardiovascular issues, don't do strong breath holding. So if you have any kind of serious medical conditions, don't do strong breath holding. But otherwise, in general, it's pretty safe. You know, it's the same as a kid going to a swimming pool. The child throws a penny down to the bottom of the pool. They swim down. They're breath holding. Maybe they're releasing air as they're going down, but they've still stopped breathing. And they're coming back up. So it's very, it's very innate thing for the human being to do. Mm-hmm. The next exercise that we can looking at is slowing down the breath. And this is a test to see, can you activate the body's relaxation response? Can you improve your blood circulation? We have 100,000 miles of blood vessels throughout the body. If you breathe slowly, you will open up the blood vessels. You will know that your blood vessels are opening up if you feel warmer. So people with cold hands, cold hands are very much a sign of poor peripheral circulation. And we can improve that. Now, we can't always improve it with people with Raynaud's. I've seen some improvement with Raynaud's, but Raynaud's is is kind of one end of the spectrum where the hands are, the peripheral circulation is very poor. I used to have cold hands and feet all the time and brain fog. And when I started really slowing down my breath to the point of air hunger, I, started, I was able to bring warmth into my hands. Now, if you're able to bring warmth into your hands, you know that you're able to influence the circulation throughout the body. And if you think of an athlete wanting, they need to get oxygen delivery to the tissues. The tissues are active. The tissues are demanding oxygen. And if you're breathing in excess of what you should be, you're causing blood vessels to constrict. You're causing less oxygen to get delivered. Your muscles are screaming for oxygen. They go into an oxygen debt. Lactic acid is produced as a result of it. You've got increased hydrogen ion. The increased acidity is stimulating breathing. Now you breathe harder. You get rid of more CO2. You're put put into a vicious circle. So we practice this exercise to help restore normal and functional breathing patterns. We have the person just focus on the airflow coming into the nose and focusing on the airflow leaving the nose. And they're focusing on the airflow coming into the nose and are focusing on the airflow leaving the nose. And as they feel their breathing, the whole emphasis just to gently slow down the speed of the breath as it enters and leaves the nostrils. So they're purposely slowing down the speed of the breath coming into the nose. And at the top of the breath, you have such a relaxed and gentle breath out. The breath out should be one and a half times longer than the breath in. And then when the person breathes out, When they feel the need to breathe in again, they take a nice, soft, slow, gentle breath in. And at the top of the breath, total feeling of relaxation to the body and a relaxed breath out. The amount of air that they are breathing should be less now than what it was before you started. So in other words, 
I need my students to be taking in about 30% less air. I want them to feel air hunger, but not to feel panic. At the start, when they do it, sometimes the air hunger gets a little bit too much. Or if they have a predisposition towards anxiety, we say, when you get a little bit stressed, take a rest and start again. Use this as an experiment. Gently focus on the airflow coming in and out of the nose and really slow down your breathing patterns just by focusing on the airflow in and out of the nose and slow down the breathing to the point of air hunger. Air hunger is telling you that carbon dioxide is accumulated in the blood because the stimulus to breathe is not oxygen. We have so much oxygen in the human body. It's only when our oxygen levels are halved does breathing is oxygen the stimulus to breathe. So in terms of, so in getting rid of the, the say for instance, um, the feeling of suffocation, because I don't want that to be a factor that somebody is going to maintain mouth breathing. Um, mm. And it's normally a person with, you know, the bolt score is going to be low at that point. So the, your bolt score is a fairly good indicator or feedback of breathing, normal breathing. And we can go through that if you like. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I want to just retouch. I can hear people listening to this thinking it's just, it's even having read the book, it's still like, it's this deeply ingrained counterintuitive thing that the less we breathe, the better almost. And, yes. and, and just to hear you say it has nothing almost to do with oxygen. It's all about almost carbon dioxide and how we're releasing that. It's just so, I just want to hammer down and even for myself, just remember that it's almost while I'm doing these exercises and I feel that need to breathe and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And you know, anxiousness can come from that, that need for breath. It's so natural for my brain just to want to be like, no good, more oxygen, more oxygen. Like you need breath, you need breath. But it's just, it's still incredible to me to, to how foreign this idea can be that the less breathing we do, the more oxygen and co2 our muscles and body actually receives well i think it's more it's more kind of countering you know the the, the effects on, of modern living like if you think of people who are talking all day that's excessive breathing mm. uh, people who are sitting down on a laptop under stress eating incorrect foods in stuffy environments that all affects breathing mm. and if we're exposed to that over a period of time you know 30 people 30 percent of the population in the United States have rhinitis. So they have a stuffy nose. Most of those people are going to breathe periodically through their mouth and they are 1.8 times as likely to have sleep problems. So anytime the nose is stuffy, the first thing that's impacted is sleep. Look at children, up to 50% of children persistently mouth breathe. Their sleep is affected and this is linked with ADD and ADHD. Doctors are treating kids with ADHD they're not looking at sleep and they're not looking at how the kid is breathing. They're giving stimulants. And, you know, it's not, it's giving a Band-Aid and it's, it's not addressing the root cause of it. And um, there's papers, and this is being published. I, I was in Ohio at the weekend and I gave a two-day course there to sleep dentists. And we had medical doctors. We had two medical doctors there with 22 people from the sleep community. One was a Harvard-based medical doctor, um, a lecturer at Harvard. He was there for the two days and we spoke, we had dinner that, that evening, you know, in terms of breathing, yes, it doesn't get the attention, but you know, I would sooner give people the tools to be able to do deal with their issue. And there's no side effects from this. There's very little cost. Yeah. And if you were to add, you know, even spending an hour with somebody and you don't need to spend that length of time, um, but to spend an hour with somebody to impart simple techniques that they have the tools for the rest of their life. You've, that's a tremendous thing you've brought to that person. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of like, why has it that it, with breathing, we all believe, well, I don't, but the vast majority of people in the Western world, that they believe it's good to take big breaths because the physiology of this is just normal medical physiology. Christian Bohr was a physiologist from Denmark. And he discovered that the partial pressure of CO2 in the blood influences the release of oxygen from the red blood cells. And I'll give you an example. Yoga instructor, Robin Rottenberg, she's from Fall City in Seattle. She was teaching yoga. She had been to many ashrams. She was being trained in India, teaching yoga for 30 years, working with very sick people with multiple sclerosis. 
she develops chronic fatigue and asthma. And the yoga exercises that she was putting into practice weren't working. And somebody said to her she was breathing too much. So she starts slowing down her breathing, changing to nose breathing, practicing the breathe light exercise, and she starts making recovery. And then she was wondering, well, what is this all about? So she trained in Ireland there for about two weeks, just going back a few years ago. And since that time, she's gone back to the ancient yoga sutras, going back to when, when yoga was first put together, looking through whatever she can find. And she's written a book on it, and the book is called Restoring Prana. Now, I don't know what the subtitle, I can't remember it is. The book is due out this fall. And I think it's going to really turn upside down breathing in the yoga community because she is from the yoga community and she has resorted to how breathing was originally taught in yoga. How breathing was originally taught in yoga was that breathing should never be hard and breathing should be subtle. And on a very simple level, and I use this example in the book, if you were running down a track with a colleague, and if that colleague is absolutely puffing and panting and totally gassing out, you would say that there's something wrong there. You would either put it down to lack of condition or they have asthma or they have some poor breathing pattern because breathing efficiency, it's all about what can the human being do with a given amount of air and light breathing is, you know, is where it's at. I love that you touched on yoga because literally in this last month, I have been doing so much yoga. There's so many benefits for me as an athlete and an active person to just opening myself up and, and gaining strength and stability in all these different ways. But it's been funny because around the time, uh, you know, around the time I started reading your book was around the time I started diving into yoga. Mm -hmm. And so here I am getting really excited and telling everybody I see about how I'm, you know, I found the solution. This is why I, you know, I haven't been sleeping well. This is why I probably had muscle cramps. And can you believe I've been sleeping with my mouth open my whole life? No one's taught me to, you know, and then I go to yoga and, you know, the first five minutes of many classes are all about taking huge breaths, building heat in the body, as they say. And and here I am like hiding in the back, trying to just keep my mouth closed and not, you know, follow the practice. And it is, it's just counterintuitive. And to hear, you know, the, the class almost screaming with breath and just, just gigantic breaths while mm. yoga has so many benefits to people. Absolutely. It, it is so beneficial. And I know you're, you're not advocating against yoga, but it no, is. No, I, mean, no. I am excited to see that where that, it just goes to show, you know, something as holistic and progressive as yoga is still, you know, naive to the fact. And it's not that they're trying to harm anybody. They're doing what they think is best for the body. And yes, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this will be adapted. And, and then you touched on food again and how the foods we eat and how we're talking all the time, this affects to our overbreathing, but it, it just goes back to a vicious cycle. It's if we're, you know, eating these bad foods, we are, um, you know, more adept to breathe harder, like you said, and overbreathe. So we're, mm -hmm. we're overbreathing. But then in the book that you mentioned that when you are properly breathing and you are making better use of the oxygen you have and, and breathing lightly and calmly, that you begin to make better decisions. You get, you get more almost in touch with your body and you mm -hmm. feel more gravitated, like you said, towards, and this is something I experienced was I began gravitating to water and instead of like carbohydrate rich foods, when, you know, you're feeling stressed and anxious, when you're at that calm and you have light breathing, you're, you're gravitated to maybe lighter meals or your appetite is reduced. It's, it's just crazy, the vicious cycle. And I'm so excited that people like you are out there. And then the book Prana, I'm excited to read that. And, and just mm -hmm. seeing how we're making big leaps. I wondered if we could shift to bolt score. You, you mentioned it a bit. So yes, yes. Bolt score is the way we kind of measure where we are at. I'll let you explain what it is and how to do it. Sure. Um, bolt score is going to vary from person to person. And we, we see, you know, we see elite athletes even with a low bolt score. And all it tells me is that it's going to, there's room for improvement. Like if I have an elite athlete and if their bolt score is 10, 15 seconds, I'm going to say, listen, man, you're going to, this is really, you put this into practice because this is an untapped gain that you didn't even know, know exist. So right, I'm that's show that's you an optimistic approach. I like it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because we, we know that it has to be impacting you some way. Yeah. Um, 
you know, again, the Journal of Sports Physical Therapy, and I can't remember which article that was, but they looked at this in terms of functional movement. And athletes with a bolt score of less than 25 seconds had abnormal breathing. And if you have abnormal breathing, you have an abnormal function. Mm. So, and those individuals who passed the functional movement screen, and I know sometimes people will say, well, it's not a perfect scoring. Well, probably there's no assessment that's perfect, but it gives you an indication. 87.5% of individuals who passed the functional movement screen were diaphragmatic breathers. Now, if you're a diaphragmatic breather, slow breather, nose breather, with regular breathing volume, normal breathing volume, you'll tend to have a higher bolt score. And what is the bolt score? You sit down for about, say, five minutes or so. Take out a stopwatch, just even your phone. Take a normal breath in through your nose. Normal breath in through your nose. Normal breath out through your nose. Pinch your nose with your fingers. Time it in seconds until you feel the first distinct desire to breathe or the first involuntary urges to breathe. Then let go. And when you let go, your breathing should be very normal. It's not a length of time that you can hold your breath for to a maximum. It's only, it's a breath hold until your brain sends the first distinct reaction to breathe. Mm. And technically, it's a measure of the chemosensitivity of the body to the accumulation of the gas carbon dioxide. And if you have a strong sensitivity or a strong response to the accumulation of CO2, your bolt score is low. Yeah, so I honestly think that I maybe my bolt score might be even lower than hearing you explain it again. I think sometimes I'll I'll bypass that first urge to breathe and wait just a little longer to get it to five, maybe five extra seconds. So maybe if I did your exercise and really that first urge to breathe right when the brain says a signal, I think I would really be at about ten seconds. But that would explain that when you switch, when you close your mouth, that you're feeling suffocated. So because your drive to breathe is too fast, it's probably upper chest breathing, faster respiratory rate, and you're trying to get that air through your nostrils and it's it's too much air. The problem may not be the airway, the problem is often the flow. So breathing is too hard. And bowl score will provide you feedback of that. So in sports, bowl score is a very good measurement or good feedback of the onset of breathlessness and the endurance of breathlessness. So how soon does an athlete get breathless and how, how breathless are they over a given range of activities? And we have another breath hold, which is up in the oxygen advantage. And that's the maximum breathlessness test. And say that this, I used to be more interested in this with sprinters. Um, but in team sports, repeated sprintability is a huge performance indicator. Like that's really where it's at. Mm-hmm. And your maximum breathlessness test is you take a normal breath in through the nose, normal breath out, you pinch your nose. And you start walking and walk fairly fast. Same as the nose unblocking exercise, but count how many paces can you hold your breath for as you're walking. And the goal is to try and achieve 80 paces by holding your breath after an exhalation. Now, if you have a bowl score of about 10 seconds, you'll probably be holding your breath for about 20 to 30 paces. But so what, because there is a relationship between your bowl score and your maximum breathlessness test. But I would use both. Because the, the bowl score gives you good feedback of functional breathing patterns, sleep, anxiety, breathlessness, breathing efficiency. And the maximum breathlessness test is, asking, is telling you what's the upper limit of tolerance of breathlessness. When you're doing that sprint, you need to be able to tolerate a high degree of breathlessness. And that's what your MBT is, is telling you. So people that listening may know now like 10 seconds where I'm at 10, 15 seconds of a bolt score and maybe 80 or 40 paces is, is not so good. So what's a really good bolt score? What's the ideal? What am I striving for? As like, I want to be the best of the best. Anything less than 25 is room for improvement. It indicates dysfunctional breathing. Okay. Anything above 25, you're on the right track and that's a bolt score. So above 25 with a goal of 40. That's a goal of 40 seconds. Does everybody achieve it? No. But most certainly with elite athletes, with competitive athletes, um, you know, and even first responders, people who are required to remain focused and to be able to do good high intensive exercise. I want to get these guys up close to 40. If I get them towards 30 seconds, I'm pretty happy. Um, yeah. But 40 is ultimately the goal. And the maximum yeah. breathlessness test, we are, we're looking for 80 80 paces, 
Um, but 60, once you're above 60, you're doing fairly okay. Yeah. As someone who wants to, I have things I want to achieve. I have big projects. I want to be able to focus. I want to be able to, you know, be, even though I'm not paying, playing anything competitively, I want to be able to be the best athlete physically as I can be. There's so many things I want and that this comes down to like really the foundation of my performance, whether physical or mental. So I am taking like the bolt score so serious for someone like me, who's willing to do the things, like you said, like the unblocking exercises, the breathe light exercises, the doing constant breath holds. How do you recommend I implement this into my life? Is it something I can do, you know, in the morning and just kind mm-hmm. of, you know, recommend like almost like a meditation where, okay, I've like brushing my teeth. I have my 10 minute meditation or my 10 minute, you know, those unblocking exercises. How do you recommend um, structurally and kind of time-wise, I really implement, if I'm serious about, you know, improving my performance mentally and physically, sure. how would you, how would you recommend I implement so, so what we want to do is we want to reduce the sensitivity of the body to the accumulation of CO2. Number one is sleep. Never sleep with an open mouth. That's number one. Number two. Well, I'll stop you right there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. You recommend in the book, taping your mouth. So is yes. that, is that, is that kind of the way that, yes. and people listening to this, I was just as weirded out when I first heard that people are taping their mouth. And I, I heard about you, Patrick, through another podcast, the, um, the on it human optimization podcast, they talked about your book and they were saying, yeah, I tape my mouth. And I just thought that is the weirdest thing I've ever fucking heard is someone taping their mouth. But then, uh, you know, I, I read your book and, and you recommend people tape their mouths when they go to sleep. Yeah, for 20 years we've been doing this. Um, the reason that we say taping them out is because it's the one sure solution to getting them out closed. So every book that I've written, the first book was back in 2003, you'll see mouth taping in it. Now, there are companies now actually developing mouth tape. Mm. And you'll see these companies, these companies are USA-based. Um, one is a dentist who I know is Dr. Frank Seaman, and he developed a tape called Lip Seal Tape. So his tape is like this. So you see, it's kind of a fabric tape. You just take off some of the, this, the there's a plastic thing. So I'll just show you. And it's adhesive and it's fairly comfortable. And you dry your lips. Mm. And for the people listening, you just put the tape over and it's, <laughs> and it's total, almost like a, total silence. Total. And so I, as, as, you know, as, as much as I didn't want to do it and as much as I thought, you know, taping my mouth is going to induce so much panic and I'm going to be so, it's going to be so hard to breathe. I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to suffocate. I'm going to be so anxious the second I do it. Patrick, the night, the first day I I forced myself to do it. I said, how serious am I? Like, do Mm -hmm. I want to get, you know, I, I love to just dive into things. And so I got, luckily I had athletic tape, which I think is a, a good solution at first. You know, it's really, it's mm-hmm. fairly easy. Sure. It sticks. It, I can get moisture on my lips and it'll still stick. I did it. And really within like the first 10 seconds, I was fine. I really didn't realize, I didn't feel uncomfortable. It yeah. looks very, it looks weird. But Patrick, that for, I woke up amazed. I felt so good. And that critic in me naturally says, well, there's a, probably a little placebo in there, but I even think I slept even less than usual. I slept like six and a half, seven hours. But I remember waking up feeling so refreshed, thinking, wow, I had some solid dreams. I was really deep. Yeah. So I just wanted, I had to cut you off there because the mouth taping, as weird as it is, you know, from, from an outsider's perspective, it, it really benefited me. And it's something I've been doing now for a couple months straight. And, and people are probably going to laugh, but I think it is so important that, you know, that, seven to nine hours we're sleeping that we, we take steps to make sure we're breathing through our nose. And I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand, like just so much gratitude that that's been adopted and my sleep's been so much better. And and just that one habit alone has been, has been doing so much. Yeah, it's huge. And you know, this was looked at back 30 years ago, 1981, Olsen, O-L-S-E-N. They did research with just, it was a small population, eight people. And they looked at their breathing, their sleep with their mouth open versus sleep with mouth closed. When they had their mouth closed, their sleep was deeper. When they slept with their mouth open, they were more likely to have snoring, obstructive sleep apnea, more likely to feel, wake up feeling unrefreshed. Stanford Medical School have done a similar study just about four months ago. The results haven't been published. They got a group of individuals 
and they obstructed their noses for 10 days. So they forced them to breathe through the, through the mouth for 10 days, both during wakefulness and also for during sleep. One of the most famous sleep doctors in the world is Dr. Christian Guimano. He's also, he's also a Stanford-based medical doctor. And he's talking about the critical importance of restoring nasal breathing during sleep as being the only valid and complete correction of addressing pediatric sleep disorder breathing. So nasal breathing is not new during sleep. And anybody who wakes up with a dry mouth, and the older we get, the more likely we are to breathe through an open mouth. Mouth breathing is shallow breathing and light sleep, and we wake up feeling tired. Um, I remember being a student, going through high school, going through university, and my concentration was always negatively impacted. Me too, me too. And you can't concentrate unless you have a good night's sleep. And Mm -hmm. can you imagine during a game, like I would say that 50% of people sleep with an open mouth. Already there's a performance gain there for those individuals. Um, Now, I'm not saying that everybody wakes up feeling absolutely resilient when they switch to mouth taping, but what I am saying is that we do see there's a good proportion of people who do. They they feel the difference. Mm -hmm. So bringing it into your way of life, have your mouth closed and tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. We need to have the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, both during wakefulness and also during sleep. To determine where the tongue should be, you could do the pop sound. All you're doing there is putting your tongue up into the roof of the mouth, creating a vacuum, and pulling the tongue down. So by doing that, um, you know, it's creating, that will give you a correct tongue resting posture because your airway is only about the size of your tongue. But if your tongue is midway around the floor of the mat, your tongue is falling back into the airway. So if you're doing, you know, going around during the day, we want a good airway, but we want the tongue out of the airway. The third thing is, Maintain lips together during wakefulness. You know, there's no reason to have the mouth open. The mouth is for eating, for drinking, and speaking. Fourthly, warm up. Always nasal breathing. Always. Um, Because the quality of the breath is so much deeper when you breathe through the nose. When you breathe through the nose, the breath itself is deeper. So you're using your diaphragm, but it's slower. So you're, you're having slow but deep breathing. So the mantra that we use is breathe slow but light but deep. Conversely, if you're breathing, if you're doing your warm up with the mouth open, you're breathing hard and shallow. Now, if we think of the human lungs, the the greatest proportion of blood in the lungs is in the lower lobes of the lungs. So you can imagine the lower part of the lungs, that's where the greatest concentration of blood is. When we breathe through the nose, we're taking the air naturally deeper into the lungs. But also when we breathe through the nose, we pick up a gas called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide redistributes the blood throughout the lungs. So nasal breathers, the oxygen uptake, that's the PO2 in the blood, increases by about 10% by breathing through the nose. During physical exercise, you want to have a good oxygen uptake. And if you could maintain a lot of the physical exercise with nose breathing, slow but light but deep, your oxygen uptake is better, but your oxygen delivery is better. So... We also do a pre-match preparation. I would have athletes do five strong breath holds before a game. So you would just hold the breath as long as you can, five times? Five times. So we do a strong breath hold. So we take a breath in, breath out, pinch the nose, hold, walk, jog, fast jog, even run, then let go, but breathe in through the nose. And we use pulse oximetry, so we simulate altitude training. And so when you do that, and when I've done that, after the breath hold, the the urge for air is so strong. Yes. Then do you, you can't you still don't don't recommend breathing through the mouth? What if it's like no, so strong? No, breathe through the nose. Breathe so does that mouth. does that mean my warm up is maybe too intense? Then if I if after my yeah, breath hold I, I I physically almost can't breathe through my mouth. You no, know, you should be able to nose? resort. You should be able to resort to nasal breathing afterwards. So, for instance, we can help open up the airways. Um. We're, we're disturbing the blood acid base balance. And this in turn is increasing the buffering capacity inside in the muscle. So we're able to delay lactic acid and fatigue. But as I said before competition, we do five strong breath holds because it brings on a sense of an alertness. You know, I don't want an athlete going out there too sluggish. I want them to be alert, to be focused. And also when we do five strong breath holds, the spleen contracts by about 20%. 
and it releases red blood cells into circulation. And the increased red blood cells stay there for about an hour, for 60 minutes. So you will be able to improve. And all it takes is just five minutes. Wow. Five minutes to do five strong breath holds. That's and that can increase aerobic capacity for 60 minutes. So those breath holds literally are going to pay dividends for the next hour. That's yes, incredible. That's the spleenic contraction at 60 minutes. That's insane. Um, we're getting close on time, so I'm going to ask you a few more questions. Is there, yeah. is there ever a time that mouth breathing is okay? Like w- when I'm in the midst of maybe playing basketball and it's intense exercise, if I can't breathe through my nose, should I just not be exercising? Or are you saying, you know, do everything you can beforehand and then when it gets time to compete for that hour or two, mouth breathing is okay? Where do you yes. stand on that? Mouth breathing is absolutely fine. Okay. What I'm saying is there is a time to breathe through your nose. Mm-hmm. And when you feel that your your you know the nose is is difficult when it's getting quite difficult and the intensity is increasing, then switching to mouth breathing perfectly fine. Okay. Um, you think of athletes; they don't have their mouth open just during high intensity. They have their mouth open walking down the street. They have their mouth open watching television. The mouth is hanging open. They're sleeping with their mouth open, and mm-hmm. all of those things are causing a reduction. So they're training hard but then they're losing some of the impact in terms of breathing efficiency by, you know, just by having poor habits outside of their training. Yeah. So while training, you know, that's maybe 10% of our day, if that, that's okay. Mouth breathing, but it's that 90% we want to focus on. And then for me, someone, someone who's really going to take this serious and and really try to increase my bolt score, increase my ability to, (laughs) I wish I could articulate it better, but basically be able to breathe better. How much time should I be dedicating to these exercises like walking outside with my breath hold and um, counting paces and doing the breathe light exercises? How much time do you kind of recommend? Yes. Assuming, assuming that I'll keep my lips you know, sealed for the day. Um, in terms of actual exercises, what kind of time frame am I looking at? How long is your warm-up? My warm-up, I would say about 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. So there's 15 minutes that you have nasal breathing. And get five strong breath holds during the warm up. Okay. Do you do a warm down? Uh, yeah, I do. I usually do like a more of a an active warm up, and then a a deeper stretch warm warm down. So cool. So down. again, nasal breathing and slowing down the breath and the warm down. Okay. Do you watch TV in the evenings? Uh, sometimes, or I'm reading. So if reading. I'm reading, yeah, practice reading. slowing practice slowing down breathing. Mm. I also think it's very important, anyway to take some time out and to bring attention from the mind onto the breath. Me too. Before yeah. you go to sleep, spend about 15, 20 minutes slowing down the breath. You don't have to do it up in the bedroom, but you can do it, say, watching, you know, even if you're watching a little bit of light TV and you're purposely slowing down the speed of the breath coming in and out of the body, that activates the body's relaxation response. You'll feel increased watery saliva in the mouth. You'll feel your body temperature increasing, but you'll also feel drowsy. So mm-hmm. slow breathing has helped to prepare the body for sleep. You know, there's so much you can do here by imparting a small amount of time. And that's the benefit because I don't want to see an athlete. Like I was working with other athletes, Notre Dame athletes, and they were 400 meter sprinters. And where, when is the most important time for these guys? It's going to be the last 10% of a race. When's the most important time for you? It's going to be the last 10% of a game. This is when fatigue sets in. So during some of their training sessions, I had them sprint with tape. I taped them up and we used pulse oximeter. And I had them sprint with their mouth closed for 360 meters. And I stood on the 360 meter line. And when they seen me, they had to breathe in, breathe out and pinch their nose and continue sprinting with their breath held for the last 40 meters. Because... I wanted to add the stimulus to when they were feeling tired. Psychologically, physiologically, we can force the body to make adaptations. And what's more, this is not causing side effects. You know, this is not causing, um, I'm causing severe hypoxia, but I'm not causing extreme hypoxia. Are are people fainting ever when you work with them? No, no. And the reason being is because we don't drop below 60%. Now, the Wim Hof technique does drop below 60% and people are at risk of fainting. But that would be more extreme hypoxia, um, whereas we work with severe. And, you know, I think it causes, it's enough for the body to get adaptations. Just having severe is sufficient. 
I love the word adaptation. I feel like the humans are ultimate adaptation machines. And I don't think I've, I didn't coin that phrase. I heard it from someone else, but it's so true. And, and that 10% literally is so huge. And like you said, the difference between Olympic gold medalist and, and just the next Joe Schmo is like one second almost in all these things. And, and, and in basketball, the last five minutes for me are, are make or break. And a lot of times my body just didn't hold up. And a lot of it, could have just been changed with this. It's something I, I haven't come across something like this that has made me so passionate maybe ever. And, and just like something that set me on fire in terms of like, why isn't this more widely adopted? Why isn't this taught? My question for you is and being in the forefront of this kind of where, how are people receiving this? Is it, is the message starting to spread? Is the, is it growing tentacles? Like you said, you mentioned the study, the book is coming out. Um, how is this being spread and, and kind of where do you see this going uh, as we kind of yes. wrap up here? Like I understand the importance for science, um, but sometimes we, we know that something works before the science catches up. We have to bear in mind that this yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Our ancestors were nose breeders. Our ancestors did breath holding. Some of the best athletes in the world were doing breath holding. It's really changed. When I started off in 2002, um, we were fairly busy. For the last four years, it's gone to the point that I'm booked out 16 months ahead. And um, this year, I've got 25 trips abroad. Each trip is is about one one week or so. So I at least spend six months abroad now. Um, you know, so it's continuous. But you know, I really feel there's something in this, and something is happening. Um, so definitely, the trajectory is has uh, has got has increased way beyond what I can deal with. Um, we have instructors now in something like 25 countries and the book has gone into 14 languages. So something has definitely happened. Is it still the point that children that are going around with their mouth open, athletes with their mouth open having abnormal breathing? Yeah, most of the time it's going to get overlooked. The, the people who are looking at this now are innovators. They're the early adopters. That's where it's at. Um, but that's the exciting thing because something is changing and yeah, it will take it will take time for mainstream to catch on, but I think that it will happen the way it's going on. I think so too, and I love that you said um, science does take a while to prove things that are so almost intuitive, and it's almost it's it's sad that these holistic approaches to things that are so intuitive and so almost natural and so basic, something so so natural to a human as breathing is going to require more time to be scientifically proven when there's just so much anecdotal evidence out there. Um, you talked earlier before we started recording about this product you have out. I do want to make sure we mention this so that my audience has the chance to check it out if they want. Sure. Most yeah. of them may are likely listening on audio and won't see the video, but you can show me and explain to me kind of what you developed. It looks awesome. Um, and I'm definitely going to buy one. So tell me about it. So this series, it's basically, it's a respiratory muscle training device but it's designed with an increased dead space and head straps around the top of the head and there's a resistance setting to the front of it. So the user wears it like this. Mm -hmm. It's like a mask. Yeah. Now we apply breath holding with the mask Mm. to simulate altitude training. So you breathe through the nose with the mask on. You breathe through the nose with the mask on because it makes sense in order to, to train the breathing muscles we want nasal breathing. The mask costs about $49, you know, and you're putting it into practice. And these simple little tools that you can be training and changing your, your training as a result of it. The other thing I'd say is use tape. Get tape for your lips, and that's all you need. Um, you don't need to use a pulse oximeter, but it's motivating to see that your blood oxygen saturation is dropping. You know, there were masks that come out and the, the claim there was simulate altitude training. You can only simulate altitude training if your SpO2 drops below 91%. The mask itself won't do it, but if you adapt breath holding and breathing practices with the mask, so when people have the mask, I'm giving breathing exercises with the mask that you can adapt and cause that adaptation. Mm, I love it. Patrick, thank you so much for for joining me. I'm going to link to all your products and and thank you just so much for being at the forefront of such a amazing endeavor. And you really are impacting so many lives, including mine. And I hope to touch more people's with your message. And and, uh, I'm just very grateful for this opportunity for being able to read your book. Um, I had an awesome time talking with you. 
Excellent. And thanks so much, Max. That's it, dude. Thanks for listening. I love you guys. Um, I'm going to link up to Patrick. He talked about uh, his mask that kind of reduces your oxygen intake and can help strengthen your breathing. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. It's called the Sports Mask. He sent me one. It's awesome. So check it out. Thank you guys again for listening. I appreciate you guys. And if you haven't already, please leave me a five-star rating on the Apple iTunes app. Those ratings really help me grow and help me kind of gain credibility in the podcast world. They help me get new guests. Um, And that's all I ask. I'm doing this shit for free, peeps. So keep helping me out in that way. I love you guys, and thanks for listening. Uh, We'll talk, and I'll see you on the next one.